Welcome to the Marriage by the Book podcast. Whether you have a great marriage or one that needs improvement, this is the show for you. Since 1994, we've used biblical principles to help hundreds of couples, just like you, find relationship success. As you listen, you'll get practical tips, knowledge, and motivation that will help bring greater intimacy and happiness to your marriage so that you can enjoy the relationship you've dreamed of. And now, this is Marriage by the Book. Hello, this is Rick Porterfield, and welcome back to the Marriage by the Book podcast. I'm glad to be back with you. I took a couple of weeks off there, but we're back at it today. And in the last podcast, I introduced covenant. We start talking about, you know, what is a covenant? A lot of times in Western culture, uh, people don't necessarily understand covenant. We think it's kind of like a contract, and it's really not. Uh, In my mind, at least, and I think I showed this in the last podcast, a covenant and a contract really are nothing alike. Uh, They're very different, have some very key differences. So, I encourage you to go back and listen to that podcast if you didn't. But in this podcast, I want to talk about how do you treat a covenant partner. And um, the Bible has a lot to say about that, and we're going to hit it pretty quickly here today. Really, one word describes it. It's the word hasid. Okay, I've heard it pronounced hasid as well. Um, So if you're a Hebrew scholar, please forgive me if I'm pronouncing it wrong. But this word is often translated as mercy tender mercies, or loving kindness. Okay, it's a Hebrew word used in the Old Testament that describes how covenant partners are supposed to treat each other. And it really describes how we should treat our spouse. And I want to say, too, it's an attractive force. Okay, listen to this. I want to read a scripture to you from Jeremiah 31.3. It says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love, Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. That word there, loving kindness, is this word, hasid. With loving, that's how he treats us. You know, God, through Jesus, entered into covenant with us if we put our faith in Jesus and receive him as Savior. And he says here, through loving kindness, that's how you treat a covenant partner. He has drawn us. This is showing what I'm saying here, that this is an, it's an attractive force. This loving kindness will draw you. People you know, we Rebecca and I, we've worked with couples since 1994, and time and again, I can't, I can't even tell you how many times, we've seen this over and over and over and over. People come in and tell us, you know, the love is gone. I just, I still love them, but it's like a brother, not like a spouse. You know, the passion, all this is gone. And I'm going to tell you, this loving kindness here, it's an attractive force. This will restore that love that we want, that passion even that we want in marriage. This will do it right here, what I'm talking about. So this is describing how you're supposed to treat your spouse. And I've heard his seed defined this way, and I'm going to talk some more about the characteristics of it, but it's a consistent, ever-faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant. Man, listen to these words here. Unrestrained, furious, covenant love. Really, the New Testament counterpart to Hasid is the word agape. Agape is, is really describes, that's God's love for us. It's God's kind of love. And it's really a covenant word describing how we should treat a covenant partner. You know, Jesus, he told us to love one another as he had loved us. That's the word agape there for love. So let's talk about some of the concepts 
included in this word Hasid. Okay, here we go. One concept in Hasid is I hold you in my mind. Okay, what does that mean? That means your spouse is so important to you that they're always on your mind. Not that you're worrying about them, but that they're so valued by you that your thoughts constantly stray to them you know, throughout the day. You just your mind goes to them. And people might think, well, that's ridiculous. And, and really, it's not. People do this kind of thing all the time. They think about the things they value. Maybe they're wanting a new car, or they're wanting to take a great vacation, or they're wanting to buy a condo at the beach, or I don't know, whatever it is that we desire. You know, Maybe they want a guitar or a new blouse, whatever it is. Our mind will stray to those things, okay? So the things we value, the things that are important to us, our mind will stray to those things. So that's one of the concepts in Hasid is I hold you in my mind. Let me add this too so I don't forget to add it, is that we need to purpose to do these things, okay? Um, this doesn't necessarily come natural uh, to us, d- doing the things of God, doing the Word. So at first we have to purpose to do it. And as we purpose to do these things, it renews our mind to doing these things, and it becomes more automatic for us to do it. Not that we can just kind of relax at some point and quit. We need to keep on purposing to do it, but what I'm saying is it gets easier, okay? It gets easier to do it. So another concept in Hasid is I crown you and favor you. Really, you should favor your spouse above any other person in your life, except for you know your relationship with God. Um, <clears throat> that should be the only relationship that's more important. Your spouse should be favored above your boss, above your pastor, above your brother or your sister, above your mom and dad, even above your kids, okay? You know, you have a covenant relationship with your spouse that you do not have with your kids. That blows some people's minds sometimes. But you've heard about, you've heard maybe of empty nest syndrome when the kids get grown and they move out. And then the, the parents, the, the husband and wife, that really don't know each other anymore. Their life was built around those children. And a lot of times divorce happens after the kids move out when people get into that empty nest. And it just doesn't have to be that way. It does not have to be that way. Rebecca and I are empty nesters, and I enjoy spending time with her. You know, I really do. So anyway, your spouse should be the most important person in your life, okay? Just as you would never insult or, or make fun of your boss, your spouse really shouldn't, you shouldn't be insulting them or making them the brunt of your jokes. Now, I'm not saying we can't tease with each other. We do that. But to think about, you've probably seen this, where one spouse or the other will, will like put the other one down, just kind of cut them in front of other people. And it's, it's, you're thinking, man, that's like, it's derogatory. It's not fun. It's just, it's just derogatory. So again, I'm not saying you can't tease each other or play around. I'm just saying we shouldn't get a laugh at their expense, you know, trying to make ourselves look better or something. So that's one of the concepts. I crown you and favor you. Another is you are ever before me. Okay. This is kind of similar to the first one, which is I hold you in my mind. It's similar to that, but it's a little different. Okay, what this means is that you conduct yourself as if your spouse is right there with you, okay? This is a great way to ensure you honor your spouse, that you honor the covenant you have with them at all times. I know several years ago now, Gloria Copeland, Kenneth Copeland's wife, they're prominent ministers if you've never heard of them, she wrote a book called Practicing the Presence. And this this is really what it was about. It's living life. And God is always with you, but living life as if he is always with you, conscious of the fact that he's always with you, living your life as if Jesus was standing beside of you, basically. You're practicing his presence. So that's kind of what this is. You're practicing the presence of your spouse. You know, there are times when people do things that they wouldn't do if their spouse was with them. And really, 
If you wouldn't do it if your spouse was with, was with you, should you be doing it? Probably not, okay? So anyway, food for thought there. I'm not trying to condemn anybody, okay? The Word of God doesn't condemn. The Word of God brings freedom. It brings fruit, and that's what this will do. This will absolutely change your marriage if you'll treat your spouse this way. It's an attractive force. It'll restore love. It'll restore passion. All these things we're talking about. So the next concept, it sounds kind of gruesome, but bear with me here. It's, it's this. It's as if I'm standing in blood swearing. That's a concept in the seed. Okay? That has a profound meaning. In a covenant, the moment of standing in blood and swearing is when the covenant is first cut. So this concept, what this means is that the covenant you have with your spouse is, is it's like it's brand new to you. If it's been five years, 10 years, 30 years, whatever it was since you stood at the marriage altar and said, I do, that covenant's just as fresh today as it was then. Again, the moment of standing in blood in like a, an old Testament kind of covenant was when the day the covenant was made, when you sacrificed animals and all that. So what we're saying here is, man, this covenant is as important, as fresh as it ever has been. And it could even be more so, okay? So, <clears throat> It's brand new. It's fresh. First priority in your mind and in the mind of your spouse. And that's really the application to marriage. Every moment of your life, it's as if you are now, right now, standing at the marriage altar with your spouse, okay? Your covenant is as as fresh, important as the day you made it. And your level of commitment is still as strong and even growing stronger than it used to be or ever has been. Okay, another, another, sorry, English language assassin coming out there. Another concept in Hasid is I am there for you now, okay? Your spouse's needs come first, even above your own, okay? You should always be there for them. Think about Jesus, how he treated us, okay? Even, he said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He put the, the needs of other people above his own. He was there for them now. And it wasn't always convenient, maybe. You know, Jesus would be walking down the street. Think about this time when he was going to Jairus' house and the woman with the issue of blood pushed through the crowd and touched him. Just stopped the whole procession. You know, he was on the way to Jairus' house and so it was kind of an inconvenient time, but he stopped and put her first, okay? He took care of her needs then. You know, so we should always be there for our spouse when they need something, okay? And, and uh, you know, this could be tough if somebody abuses this or whatever, but this is... This is the principle. I'm there for you now. And this concept implies now, you know, not tomorrow, today, right now. <clears throat> Their needs are more important than eating or sleeping. <laughs> They're even more important than watching football or shopping or whatever it is, folks, okay? Um, man, I know that's kind of tough. I just think of times in our lives when, when Rebecca and I have practiced this. And we practice this day in and out, day in and day out in small things and big things like that. But I remember once when Rebecca had locked herself out of the house. I had to leave work and go and let her into the house. She, she didn't have her key with her, and it was going to take a few hours for a, a locksmith to get there and things, and I didn't want her standing outside. So I went and let her in. I remember another time where she left. Uh, we had a minivan, and she left our house, had a quarter of a tank of gas. And the uh, again, I was at work, and the, the uh, gas gauge was wrong. And so she runs out of gas on the side of the road. So I told my boss, I said, hey, I got to go. My wife's out of, you know, uh, out of gas. I got to go. This was several years ago. 
And uh, anyway, so just their needs need to be important to us and come now. Okay. Anyway, those are just a couple examples. Maybe not very good ones, but just trying to illustrate for you. So we should be able to say yes to our spouse almost always and say no to other people almost always. That's an interesting thought. Some people will say yes to everyone else and expect their spouse to take seconds. Ooh, I'm stepping on my toes. I don't know about yours, but I'm stepping on mine. That's not how you treat a covenant partner, though. We need to say yes to them and no to other people. You know, anyway, I'll stop right there. Here's another concept in Hasid. I live in constant reality of the bond between us. We never forget that we are one with our spouse. You pledge your love to them until death do you part, okay? You're theirs, they're yours, so you want to live in constant reality of that bond, okay? You've become one when you marry, when you enter into that covenant. Okay, here's a, a final concept in his seed. I am constantly plotting and planning ways to bless you and surprise you as I keep the covenant terms. We want to think of ways just to be good to our spouse. Okay, I'm not talking about like an ice water wake up or that kind of surprise. I'm talking about a good surprise, okay? Doing something that's a blessing for them. This is really where knowing the love languages can come in handy. You know, Gary Chapman wrote a great book called The Five Love Languages, and I don't have time to get into that, but knowing their love language and being able to speak their love language can help you to be a, a blessing to them and treat them with this kind of love. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 John 3.18 to love not in word only, but in deed and in truth. So we don't want to just say we love someone. We want to show them with our actions and our lifestyle that we love them. So ask yourself, you know, what can I do for my spouse that they will like, that will be a blessing to them? What can I do to surprise them in a good way? Okay. Yeah, you know, I mentioned earlier that agape, I did some podcasts uh, several weeks ago now about God's kind of love and talked a lot about agape. But I mentioned earlier that agape is the, the new covenant counterpart to his seed. So let me just define agape. We did it several weeks ago, but I'm going to do it here again. It's a selfless love that will go to any length to attain the well-being of its object. So the object of your love in the context of marriage is your spouse. So this type of love implies a decision and a commitment. It's a matter of the head more than of the heart. It's not based on feelings. Now, feelings will follow the decision, but and that's important. We need to make a decision and a commitment and act on that decision, act on that commitment, and that'll give us consistent feelings of love, okay? If we just treat our spouse right when we feel like it, our feelings are all over the place. They're, they're not dependable at all. Let me read you a scripture that illustrates that. It's Jeremiah 17, 9. This is from the Amplified Classic Bible. It says this, the heart is deceitful. Now, let me just say the word heart there is the Hebrew word leb. It's talking about the seat of the emotions. We could say feelings, okay? So your feelings, your emotions are deceitful above all things, and it's exceedingly perverse and corrupt and severely mortally sick. Who can know it, perceive, understand, and be acquainted with his own heart and mind, his own feelings? So you can't, I mean, if, if, if there was a counselor who was perverse and corrupt and severely morally sick, you wouldn't trust them to lead you, right? Well, you can't trust your feelings to tell you if you love somebody. This is new ground for a lot of people right here. We need to make it. That's why that decision and commitment to love somebody, it's God's kind of love is not based on feelings because feelings are like this right here. They're not dependable. They're all over the place. But we can make a decision and a commitment and feelings can follow that decision and commitment and stay consistent. Okay. Now, I'm not saying you're just always going to feel just completely like, woo, about your spouse. 
but they'll be more consistent than if you try to base your love on feelings and how you treat them on feelings and whether you want to be with them on feelings. Base those things on that decision and commitment. So God's kind of love, agape, it's a decision and commitment. It's not based on feelings. It involves judgment and the deliberate assent of the will. This is something I'm making a decision to do. You know, if you're married and haven't been treating your spouse this way, your covenant partner, we're really not honoring the covenant and we want to honor the covenant, okay? Think about the things I've described here or how people fall in love when they're dating, or you might say courting the person they want to marry. They start off like this, you know, headed in the right direction, holding that person in their mind. They're there for them when they need them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, they're plotting and planning ways to surprise them in a good way, et cetera, all these things. Shouldn't it just get better after you get married instead of getting worse? I mean, you're not even in covenant yet. You're treating them like you would treat a covenant partner. So once you get married, just maintain that, (laughs) you know, or even increase it. Um, So anyway, we don't want to keep pursuing that person that way. Again, I'm stepping on my toes. Are Are your toes getting stepped on? Mine are a little sore over here. Okay. So we don't want to just pursue them and treat them right during the, you know, the pre covenant phase. We want to continue this on through marriage and man, this will, it'll change your marriage. Okay. So keep your spouse number one, treat them the way we've talked about. Now, let me give you some homework. You know, it's, it's the word you do that makes a difference in your life, not just the word you hear. The Bible says in James, you know, not to deceive yourself, being hearers only, but to be doers of the word. It's the doers that are blessed in what they do, it tells us there. So here's some homework, how you can apply this. Go back, maybe listen to this again, think about those characteristics of, of the seed, and put those to work in your marriage. Go ahead and just do them today okay take one or two or all of them whatever and start doing them it's an attractive force with loving kindness i've drawn you it said we read that from jeremiah you know think of things you can do to start treating your spouse accordingly hey thanks for listening I want to encourage if you want to go a little deeper go check out our website marriagebythebook.org our book marriage by the book is available from amazon.com there's links to it on our website. Just uh, you go to the website or you can go to Amazon.com, type in Marriage by the Book Porterfield. You know, there's a lot of marriage books and things on Amazon. So putting Porterfield on there helps bring it uh, up to higher in the search. And you'll also find our workbook that accompanies the book there that helps you get, you know, more out of the book as you read it. And the book's also available on Audible and Kindle. So, hey, thanks again for listening. God bless you, and my prayer for you is that you will put this concept of his seed, treating a covenant partner God's way, to work in your marriage, and that you will see the fruit of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great one. We hope you enjoyed today's Marriage by the Book podcast. Make sure to like, rate, and review, and hit the subscribe button. For additional resources or to go deeper, visit marriagebythebook.org. See you next time.